0: Chuck and Julie bringing you the truth, straight up.
1: I'm Julie Haynes,
0: an Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver-area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage, as parents for over ten years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment, live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on the Chuck and Julie Show.
2: Well, welcome to Party Friday, Chuck Bonneville, Julie Higg, Hidd- <laughs> Chuck and Julie Grassroots Show. True
1: straight up. That's right. The show brought to you by Mountain West Wellness, Advanced Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine. Coming up in a second, we're gonna be talking to uh, Professor Bruce Gilley. He's a political science professor at Portland State University. Um, has an interesting review of the Sand Creek um massacre. Uh, exhibit at the History Colorado Museum. Um, and, and We're waiting for him. Okay. I know, hey, I'm talking to Thomas here. Um, yeah, Thomas, try again. He knows that we were going to be calling him. So um, the other thing we wanted to talk about, we talked about it a little bit on um, the other day about the letter that and Dave, Dave Williams is on the show Which talking will not about. not find
2: out anywhere, locally anywhere.
1: No, huh? The letter that... Predicted
2: by yours truly.
1: That's right. Exactly. Um, that the Colorado, the current leadership of the Colorado GOP sent to the previous establishment uh leadership Chrissy let, letter
2: of preservation it was by an attorney Randy Corran who we all
1: know right and Chuck, let me we, we can talk we'll talk about this a little bit more but while we're waiting to get Bruce on the phone one of the things so what it it all stems from a financial scandal um that was uncovered by the current leadership one of the things that Christy Burton Brown said oh we have what I think they told them they had a
2: hundred
1: thousand plus dollars in the the Colorado Republican Party account, and that everything was in great order. Um, so to say that the transition, I think it's fair to say the transition was sabotaged, actually, tr- from Christie's transition to Dave's transition. Well,
2: you know, the, the prior transition, which came from our favorite congressman, who was the head, Ken uh, Buck, Ken Buck uh, they left him, I don't know, hundred thousand $400,000. But Um, so when Chrissy said, I left you a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars, not
1: so much. Well, and so then they
2: left them far less, almost no cash, but lots of debts.
1: Right, and what they found out is that they had not been paying the rent um they'd been paying themselves forty five thousand dollars in bonuses. not clear to who the payroll not
2: paying attorney's fees or at least uh, new attorney's fees
1: right and and they were uh, you know they were charging medical premiums, all kinds of stuff, and then the payroll company. Refuses to give the information to the right. current leadership. I mean, a whole lot of questions about it. Right. And I think that um, Dave and those guys have given them plenty of time to address it, which of course they don't, even though bizarrely, what they do say is they, t- they attack um they, they attack um, Dave, right? right. By saying that he's not doing anything um, and that he can't raise money and that he's the one not paying the bills. Right. And so uh Finally, what they did and they I mean, what they turned over is clearly civil issues and I would say arguably criminal issues. Right. If you are they had somebody was charging thousands and they believe they know who thousands and thousands of dollars on the state GOP credit card for personal stuff. I think for their business, probably, right? After they were no longer working there. I mean, if I had like a, a Chuck and Julie credit card mm-hmm. and I quit the Chuck and Julie show and and, does. and, and continued charging the credit card, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's fraud, right? You can't keep doing that. Particularly it, since no one even knew you had the credit card in the first place. Well, nobody of the new people. So anyway, so finally what they did is they went ahead and they wrote a letter because Dave has made it clear. He said- what, What's
2: a letter of preservation? Pres- of evidence you send a letter saying do you please do not destroy any of these records uh, because we're going to be engaged in litigation they will be subject to discovery there's always a question people have well right. just because some jerk attorney writes you why do you have to do anything well there's the rules the rules say that if you destroy it then presumptions can be made by the court uh that you in fact were hiding evidence, and you may have to concede points that you claim are not true. So it it can have pretty serious consequences, other times not.
1: Well, and, and let me just read a little bit, he said, and one of the reasons Dave is doing that is because the Establishment, which is annoyed that it's been taken out of power, is trying to cause problems for the current people um, so that they can't raise money. Right? They want to raise questions about. Well,
2: no, they they knew that all the big donors, the big rhino donors, would not contribute anymore. So the key to discrediting the new ones is make sure they had no money. Pretend they had money, and then basically leave them in debt. Right. Um, and and so that was, I think, the scheme. Right. Um. And, uh, you know, of course, all the all the Colorado, all the Ansheets publications, say, oh, yeah. Well, they, they
1: ignore it. Well, and here's what Randy Well, they, said, they didn't
2: ignore it when she got out. They all reported that she left them, you know. Right. So they like,
1: reported her lies, right? And said, so they're not. But here's, so in part, this is what Randy's letter said. The Colorado Republican committee party has asked me to send the following as a result of claims of potential malfeasance and financial irregularities during your tenure as chair from 2021 to 2023. These claims are based upon allegations, including misappropriation of party resources, deceiving members, improper accounting and potential unjust enrichments. This letter is to formally demand the preservation and relinquish, relinquishment of certain evidence identified below. And I got to wonder, for some reason, they seem fairly confident that Christie has this. Um, and I'm not I, sure I'm, how they I, would be, but yeah, they. I'm
2: not sure why they
1: think it even. And they've also said, and if you're not the person who has it, then you have to tell us who has it yeah. and then direct that person to give it to us. Um, and you have to hand over all of this um, evidence by um, December 27th, which right. is kind of it. That's like, you know, what, a couple of weeks you know
2: and that.
1: yeah exactly and so can you explain because that was my question too if i'm christy burton brown i mean i think i would do turn and throw it away but she can't do that can she
2: well she does not have to turn over anything I she mean, can I
1: argue about that
2: well it's not a subpoena right and there's no lawsuit so there's no you know obligation to turn over evidence just because somebody sends you a letter but because of the evidentiary rules they have ruled if after getting this letter you destroy information Um, The trial court can make assumptions and rulings based on your destroying evidence.
1: And I, we had some experience of this when I was a TV reporter, it would not be, I mean, it didn't happen all the time, but on occasion it would happen where somebody would want a copy of the story or something like that. And, on rarely did it go to like, never in my experience, at least for me, did it actually go to court, but it wasn't, you know, unheard of that you would get a letter saying, preserve it. Right. Yes, yes. Um, and, and every so often then the, you know, the news director would be like, maybe let's get rid of it right away. And then the attorney would be like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to do that we'll have to argue about it in court so but i mean dave made it clear i think the word he used was or the words he used was we're going to escalate this right and the words he, meaning that they're going to definitely pursue civil charges if she doesn't come up with an explanation right um and then they're also i'm
2: not sure they're asking for an explanation they've asked well, for an explanation before she was they're asking for documents which once again this is not a a uh, subpoena so they don't have to turn over the records but they do, they destroy them that could be result in penalties and assumptions in court about the veracity of various statements.
1: Right. Well, and again, and criminal, pursue criminal th- uh, complaint, too. Now, I, I know there have been some people out there, we've heard a little bit of rumbling. So It's like, well, why not go straight to the criminal? And um, I, I think they probably, number one, want to see what her response is and what, if anything, they they turn over, right? Because you you would think that in a, you know, Chris, you could say, oh, Gall, sorry, Dave. It was just, you know, I was in a bad mood, and so we we just kept all the stuff. I'm sorry. But now I see you guys are serious, and you really should have it because it should have just transferred over to you it wasn't my personal stuff right it should have just transferred over to you and um so i'll just give it to you right um which probably well
2: she has said in various things that you know we turned over nine months ago we don't have anything um what are you talking about um but
1: interestingly dave noted that they had been able to recover files and emails that were deleted Right. And so that is how they know about a lot of this stuff. And right. that is how they know that there is stuff that Chrissy has not turned over. Right. Because well, they, they, have,
2: they, they don't know, but they, they, they have strong suspicion. I imagine is a better word.
1: Okay. So I, I, anyway, this is, I think, and again, the astonishing radio silence, this is serious, right? Um, the, You know, Oh, back to why they aren't going directly criminal. I think that's the kind of thing once they have the information I mean, they don't just—they can make a complaint, right? They can make a criminal complaint, um, and then the police would decide what to do about the whole oh, thing.
2: and the DA. But and the you have DA. to remember: once you do that, you've lost all control. Right, right. Uh, you know, your choices are wiser. Up at this, up at the state level, is a you know highly uh, partisan Democrat. You could go to the Arapahoe County DA, Kellner, was very much an ally of Christy Burton Brown. Right. And I suppose maybe you could go to the uh, police chief, and yeah. and but that would probably go up to Kellner anyway. So you lose all control. You, you right. know, It just goes into a black hole, and you never see it again. At least if you civilly charge somebody, exactly, you're in control. You know, you know the court is requiring you to do things, requiring them to do things. You at least still have control over it, rather than just going into the black box of the judicial system.
1: Well, and not only that, but if you if you file a criminal complaint and the police take it up, now everything is under investigation, right? right. So you can't. Chrissy Burton Brown, understandably, wouldn't want to be deposed. I mean, right. that would bring to a halt, a screeching halt, any mm-hmm. kind of civil process too. What kind of things could they sue for? I mean,
2: restitution, return of the money, uh, damages uh-huh. uh, for. For financial fraud, uh, for filing uh, reports with the FEC uh-huh. that were false and knowingly false. Um, they could file for uh, negligent supervision of employees who took funds unlawfully. Without supervision, There's and, a whole slew of things
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, so anyway, so we will keep track of that again. I do find it interesting. you would think normally the liberal puppet media would be happy to report on problems within the Colorado Republican Party, and to me it's just it's interesting. Um, how far they're willing to go to um, protect Christy Burton Brown. Because, for instance, all these same organizations, Denver Gazette, Colorado Politics, Complete Colorado, Colorado Sun, they're all reporting on this somewhat obscure executive committee request that the Colorado Republican Party endorse Trump, right? right. They're all reporting on that which is like, who cares? I mean, frankly, and it's not even done. It's just a request. Right. right. And which may or may not happen. But so it's so it's not like they're not in the know about what's going on. And it's not like they don't want to report on what's going on. But in this case, they're just totally ignoring this financial complaint against Christy Burton Brown. Um, and it, it's just, it's curious to me about why would you want to protect christy burton brown why would you want to ignore grassroots coloradans um and kind of lump christy burton brown in the same category frankly as the democrats don't you think
2: well I, you know not to say it again but i predicted it was radio science oh. when i saw the email from david said no they won't report on this they'll hide it and the only thing they have reported on the date was raw story which is a very left-wing publication and they gave the christy burton brown view of it that you know this is ridiculous. No the, the party was great when I left it and did she
1: comment to them? Or was she
2: commented to to uh Colorado Times recorder from before. Right. Okay. Right. So I mean it's it's pretty clear that they can't figure out how to how to and, and the raw story did was the national left wing, you know, minor site. Right. And everything was in Christie's favor. I mean everything oh you yeah, know right. the treasure went to nine went to the to the trump rally and everything else so um i, I don't think they know quite where, where to go with it and so why not just ignore it all together okay. which is what i assume they would do uh, because no matter if if they're reported even in the most favorable terms to christy burton brown it doesn't sound good no. for her nor nor advanced colorado or all the sycophants to Christy Burton Brown.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, because you're right. At a certain level, she's got two choices. She's, she can either just give them all of the stuff, right? Or she can get herself an attorney. And we will get herself. Well, I know she'll get Well, and I'm going to go with, hmm, Brownstein. I'm going to go with the Brownstein Law Firm, Chris Murray, perhaps, <laughs> um,
2: who was in part of all of this. No, uh, they won't because that conflict of interest. Not a conflict. They could be a witness.
1: Okay, uh, but but at any rate, I don't
2: think they do it. But hey, and you never know. know. I don't, I don't...
1: You never know. So that's what's going on there, and we will keep you posted on what happens there. Because I mean, December 27th—that's a deadline. I mean, and uh, which—and I guess that means you're, you're the lawyer. So does that mean? she has to respond in some way shape or form or what happens if she just ignores it because as you said she doesn't it, it's not a subpoena so she doesn't have to hand it over what would be if you my guess would be she'll ignore it right yes um and so then what does randy do um
2: uh, nothing um and until and unless they file a lawsuit uh, okay and then they request it as part of discovery
1: okay and- so this would kind of fuel that fire right I, this is sort of like giving her a chance to settle this nicely is that sort of fair to say
2: no i think that went down the drain a long time okay. ago i mean early on they asked her you know hey what's this what's that goes, i don't know It okay. got me you know you...
1: this maybe just gives them a deadline it's like okay if she doesn't respond by the 27th if yeah, we decide,
2: then, then, what then then to do. decide whether they want to bring legal action well dave indicated they
1: clearly were going to uh, well, well, well <laughs> no, that's not he said we're going to ask. So that's a good point. He signaled that that
2: was there potentially. That is that the, what, what would happen. Mm. So she doesn't have to do anything. Uh, but if she destroys records, then they can prove. She destroyed records. Well, then that would be a problem for at least civilly. Right, right. So
1: anyway, so a lot. That's very interesting. Another thing, like I said, if you just joined us, we're waiting to get Bruce Gilly. He's a political science professor at Portland State University. I'm talking about a massacre of history, is what he calls it, in the Colorado and the history Colorado's exhibit of the Sand Creek massacre. Um, and what they're trying to teach our kids. And,
2: and I have become by osmosis a little bit of a quasi summit expert on sand creek because i wrote a book with david hallis who was the historian at the caro history museum and you know i worked with him for over a decade on on things and as a practical matter all i heard about was sand creek and all i saw were their early exhibits and Is explaining things to me, so it'll be interesting to hear. Well,
1: and speaking, now we do have Bruce Gilley here. All right. Bruce Gilley. Hey, Bruce. Julie Hayden. Chuck Marabelle here. Hey there. Thank you. um, We were kind of doing a little bit of an introduction with you. Political science professor, Portland State University, and you had a great column up in AM Greatness um, talking about a massacre of history in Colorado regarding the History Colorado Sand Creek Massacre Exhibit.
2: Um, and
0: I was telling Julie. Yeah, I thought that's that, a little little topical for you guys in Colorado.
2: Exactly. Yeah, well, well, I'm I with Chuck. Chuck, I'm, I am a biosmosis, a quasi-nerdy expert on Sand Creek, because I wrote a book with David Hallis, who was the historian for the Colorado History Museum, and so yeah. I was over there a great meal time, and his raison d'etre was sand creek and the exhibits and everything else and so i watched him meet with tribal leaders and they came up you know th- this exhibit they originally came with with it goes back 20 years 30 years and it's always you know before it was it was x and then it got to be a little more on the indigenous side and then they totally decided <laughs> in this last one to shovel any non-indigenous outlook on it to to give a a wonderfully uh, non nuanced view of a uh, controversial subject.
1: Well, and I guess why don't we just like launch right into it there, Bruce, and why don't you explain what were, what are some of the, like you said. What is the Sanctuary The only victim here is, or the main victim here is history. What, what, yeah, why don't you kind of enlighten us with what they showed, what the truth is. Well, what is, is, just
2: tell, you know, and then what they showed,
0: or. You know whatever. whatever you yeah, were. well, Sand Creek, Sand Creek, uh, as you probably explained to your listeners, was a, um, a case where a, a territorial militia of, of volunteers that had been raised in Colorado during the Civil War, because one of the two regiments was away fighting, um, was pressed into service. Um, there were negotiations going on with the Cheyenne and Arapaho Indians, um, uh, which had been engaging in a series of atrocities and massacres of settlers and farms over the preceding summer, and fall, which had led Denver to the verge of starvation. And, you know, miscalculation, misunderstanding, uh, confusion, fear, all of that stuff went into it. And at a certain point, the militia attacked an Indian camp at what is now Sand Creek. And uh, some number of Indians were killed. I think John Broom, or sorry, Jim Broom, who I think has done probably the most kind of forensic analysis of this, thinks that 67 or 69 Indians were killed on that day. The official figure out of the federal inquiries was always uh, 150 to 200. And then at a certain point during the latest um, History Colorado exhibition, um, it was up to 230. Um, And why that is, I'm not sure. Um, I don't, I've never seen that
2: a so Hospital was 500 because it makes a better <laughs> story worse, yeah. the more you... But you're the saying there's people. no,
1: as far as you know, there's no historical well, basis. you they
2: didn't even know where the Sand Creek Massacre occurred exactly when David house was doing And they had a whole <laughs> geological thing trying to find, you know, because massacres don't naturally lead to little monuments. So to put the monument there, they had to do all this kind of geological and and other kind of surveying. To find out where the Sand Creek massacre actually
0: was, where the Indiana camp- Yeah, they didn't find it till till
2: 1999. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, when I was working with David, you know, he was he was kind of going, oh, we got to go down there, and we got to do this, and we got to do that. So that was very much a you know, you think it, people think it would be easy, but really, dying of of, t- of scores of people. Uh, occurs lots of times for natural and other natural reasons, and so it took a lot of geological work to find the site and the skeletons and, and all
0: of that. And so the reopened exhibit of 2022, I guess, is when it reopened and now finally starting to get the sort of adulatory coverage in the mainstream media in 2023, um, you know, essentially decided that history as such is nonsense, and we're just going to tell this story of peaceful, uh, spiritual Indian sitting around macraméing baskets, and terrible white people coming with no provocation, and no reason, uh, and no individuality—just just representatives of this great terrible thing called the white races uh, massacring them. All of which showing, you know, that America is a terrible place. It's a, it's a complete farce. And the interesting thing is, a lot of historians who work on this. Have privately written to me since I wrote that and said thank you for huh? saying that because we can't say that ourselves because we'll lose access and we'll lose our positions and whatnot. But but thank you for saying that because we actually agree with you.
1: <laughs> oh well, I mean that's a, well, let me get to that in a second. But that's maybe shed a little bit of light because historically, I mean, I was unaware. I mean, having lived in you know, I didn't grow up here, but lived in Colorado, I was vaguely aware. And in general, my sense was exactly what you said that. For g- greedy land grabbing reasons, the white settlers went in massacred the Indians, took over their camp and built houses and now it's Denver, right? Um, but, I <laughs> a mean l- a
2: little off on geography
1: well but I mean essentially you, you know it's I mean,
2: still yeah. kind of vacant land but I
1: mean that's sort of my sense. Um, but you were talking about I mean I had never heard of this before. you're saying like in for instance the Indians and in one instance they they ma- they killed like a family and left them on the steps of the city and county building
0: well no so this is the hunt this is this is the huntsdale family and it okay. it was i think i think it was the the most dramatic kind of uh case of an indian atrocity because this this was a family that had been there they're not recent arrivals uh, that basically defenseless mother and her children um, attacked scalped mutilated um, so the 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 territorial governments or some of the the sort of ones who wanted a harder line on protecting denver from the indians um brought their bodies and put them on display so that was not okay. done by them but by the by the by the settlers and um but but you know the the whole point is that that you know the settlers at the time felt very insecure not surprisingly because the atrocities had been happening uh, every you know few weeks a dozen or two dozen settlers or stagecoach hands or whatever, uh, left dead, um, you know, the horses plundered, of course. And, you know, it, it, it had only been a few years since the all-Indian uprising in Minnesota, which had left 700 dead, yeah. and there was talk of a similar one in Colorado. Now, we can say, you know, well, we know in retrospect that, you know, this didn't come together, but, you know, at, at the whole point of history is to try and take ourselves out of our present. Comforts and put ourselves into the position of people in different aspects of a historical episode and try to understand that's what history is. And there's no attempt at understanding in this new History Colorado Center exhibit.
2: Well, the one thing that surprised me in my osmosis understanding of, of the Sand Creek Massacre is how controversial it was in Denver at the time. There were lots of people, lots of Denverites that found the massacre... Outrageous! Now, now, Chevington, who's heading the volunteer force, had his own supporters and all that. But it was highly controversial and highly condemned by some segments of the society, which is sort of amazing because um, you know it, it's a very European uh, sense of of warfare that you just send your young men out. The two young men fight it, with directed by the old people. And whoever wins, they take the territory, but they leave the civilian population, the old people, alone. Um, you know, right. generally speaking, that's not how warfare works. And where, let's say, in 1099, when the crusaders went down the First Crusade and reached Jerusalem, they just slaughtered everybody. You know, they just, it was yep. a butchery, um, because that wasn't in Europe and they weren't Europeans. But but certainly in Indian warfare, um, they they certainly... Uh, viewed women and children either as targets or alternatively as bounty. Yeah. You take the women and children, you enslave them, and, and otherwise, you know, you could marry them. They weren't very racist back then, uh, at least the Indians weren't, so that, you know, but women and children are, uh, were, were considered part of the war. If you, you killed them, you enslaved them, but you just didn't simply leave them alone. Um, and that's a very European war concept.
0: Right. So the funny thing is, if you you think about it, uh, you know, what Shivington did with his militia was actually to completely conform to Indian norms of warfare. Um, And he was uh, he was, in that sense, very culturally competent in his warmongering. They weren't willing to
2: enslave the Indians. You know, they were racist. (laughs) And so you couldn't bring the women back to to your homestead and and. Sell them off or have the kids work on your farm, I mean at least they just slaughtered them they, there was no slavery involved, and the Indians were more enlightened in that in some cases they'd enslave them
0: so I think the, the, you know the point the bigger point is history as such is over in the United States as far as mainstream treatments of historical issues there's There's no history anymore it's just ideological propaganda with certain groups identified as those who will be written into history as the virtuous victors and certain who will be written into history as the horrible losers. Um, All they've done compared to, you know, past traditions of that sort of historiography is just invert who the winners and losers are and who the victors and the vanquished are. But it's nonetheless just propaganda the way Henry VIII or the Chinese emperors used to write history.
1: Yeah. Well, and you made a good point in your column. I mean, this is this History Colorado. I mean, this is school kids go there and this is how they're learning history, right? I mean, you you mentioned that some yep. of the kids' perceptions. Talk about that a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I was reading the, the accounts, of course, the glowing accounts from the Denver Post and whatnot of how wonderful this is for the kids. And, you know, one of the, the, the one quotation I use is, you know, this the 17-year-old girl who comes out and says, I'm so angry at history. Well, (laughs) how is that in any remote sense indicating a successful exhibit? If the child comes out and says, I hate history, that that I'm just going to be in a constant rage against the past for the rest of my life, and my only response to the past is going to be this blind rage. I mean, how is that education in any sense of the word?
2: What is, and this is a trick question, what is the right... Things a child should come out from this exhibit?
0: Well, a child should understand first and foremost, always come out with an understanding of the humanity of all the parties involved. This is the most fundamental lesson that we need to teach kids about history, that we are no better than the people in the past. And if you consider yourself a human being who deserves empathy and understanding from others for how you live your life, then for God's sake, history needs to teach us empathy and understanding for the individuals involved in historical episodes, no matter what side they're on. And I mean that all across the board, right? There's very few instances where we want to say we don't care about that person, even if they're on the side of a cause that we think is deeply unjust and, and, and de- deserves condemnation. So that's the first thing. And that's, of course, the, the first failure of this exhibit, is there's no humanizing of... The non-Indians involved in the story, whether soldiers, whether settlers, whether governors, whether uh, free slaves who were part of the Colorado militia and regiment—you um, know—none n- of these people are humanized. And certainly, the federal inquiries, the white male federal uh, government leaders who did so much work on these inquiries, none of them are humanized either.
2: Well, and you know. Well, but but here's my uh, response to that. And it is a realization that I came to in, in fifth grade, fourth grade, whatever it was. If you really drill down, you end up that human beings are not nice. <laughs> They're really bloodthirsty, awful
0: people. <laughs>
2: and, not, and, and the reason you can avoid um, that conclusion of misanthropy is that you consider some good and others bad. You have to, you know, if, unless you want to kind of go, God, human beings are a bloodthirsty, awful group. Um, you have to say, no, 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 no. Only one of the It was the groups. white settlers. Or it was the savage Indians. Human beings have been able to avoid the fact that they are a disgusting <laughs> no, species. No, I'm not straight. I look at this differently. Uh, no, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Look through the history of the world. And from the Holocaust to today, you know, I mean, what the Sand Creek Museum did, or I mean, the History of Colorado, is they took um, Israel and, and Gaza and went from October 9th or October 8th on. You never saw why the Israelis went in and started slaughtering Hamas. You only go where after the Israelis invaded. And that's what they did. They said, okay, let's not go into before. Whatever date it was in 1864, we'll only go after that date. All the atrocities before are ignored, and we just look at this. And that's necessary for innocence of people. People (laughs) must believe they are not. The 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 awful species that we are. Okay. and Accept the awful species that <laughs> no. we are. See, Julie does not uh, no, believe that's any like, of this. That's Bruce talk, that's well, that's Bruce no, talk. I told him. I let him. I let him give his thing, and I just wanted to give my response. <laughs> so, what's your response?
0: My response. Well, I want I want to hear what Julie has to say
2: oh, oh I, no oh that was tricky that was tricky the chuck, no wonder you go from portland chuck, state
1: then no, no, chuck cherry picks historical <laughs> examples i think you could also go through history and pick out many examples even being unbiased about it of people doing good things Yahoo. and and so and, and i think it goes bruce you made a very good point the truth is is that that
2: we're all you're smart bruce okay. bring it bring it bring it julie no, that was that was a all good right. move
1: that's, that's um um but i think anyway the point though that i want to talk about is something you made earlier and that is
2: i still want his response
1: oh, okay Are people good or bad or both
0: well I, I think all people are a mixture of motives obviously some people are 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 better than others, but you know I don't think i i, I disagree I, I i could tell a story that humanity is the most incredibly good and fine species, and you know ever and put people in a situation and they will act like angels unless they're given an act and a reason to act like devils so i but whatever however you want the to the call devil. it glass of full glass glass the of it, that's the second point that a history exhibition should show is the forces in which people operate their lives, which is, you know, we call that whatever you want. Call it history, call it structure, call it whatever. But the fact is we all find ourselves in situations not of our making. And the second thing that a history exhibit needs to do is to show what those situations are, what those forces are, what those economic and social and technological and cultural and political factors are that create situations in which people act. And again, this exhibit totally fails that. It tells us nothing about the run-up to this, it tells nothing about the settlement of the West, about the migration of these tribes out of South Dakota because they were fleeing tribal conflicts. It tells us none of that. And that's again, that's what history has to tell us is why people found themselves in situations and where those situations came from.
1: No. Well, and what's interesting, too, I want to go to something you said, and that is you had people writing you saying, thank you for saying that. I couldn't say that because I, I, I could. I mean,
2: well, I, how, how do you get to say it? I mean, Portland State is infamous for being a liberal college. How do you get to give this message out?
0: Well, well, because I don't work on indigenous or Indian uh, issues. I'm not an archaeologist who requires tribal consent to go do a dig. I'm not an anthropologist who needs tribal consent to go and study their culture. I'm not a historian who needs access to their records or the records held by the federal government that they demand a veto over. You know, I'm none of that. So unless you're in a, in, unless you're in a committed relationship with the indigenous people, then you can say what you want. Okay.
1: Uh, what? And, I mean, and what do you make of that? I mean, it, it, to me, it, you know, I mean, you could go all the way through, you know, to COVID. I mean, so much anymore, and it's it's kind of astonishing the, the way it has and in, in, I guess encroached into history. But there, there's only certain narratives that people are allowed to say out are allowed to say out loud anymore, and it's just pervasive, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, the people who should have. The most untrammelled ability to follow the truth where it leads them and to articulate what they think is the truth full stop should be people in higher education i mean it's a, supposed to be a special place where you know your organization your employer commits first and foremost to your free speech that's not true of every you know it's not true of a company a company absolutely can tell its employees you know don't go promote the other brand uh, you know while you're at the office i mean that's totally fine but But higher education is supposed to be the place where, you know, the the ability to speak truth, no matter the consequences or the popularity, is the highest principle. And it's been lost for, for people studying these types of issues.
1: Well, and you know what's really sad about that too is okay, so at least people like you and people like Chuck and the, the the man that you worked with, you know there is this other side. But going back to that kid who was interviewed coming out saying, I'm so angry at history. So that kid now has no idea, even there's another side. And then her children will be raised. You know what I mean? It's sort of like. Oh, no, no,
2: David was not allowed to save the other side. But he, he was absolutely. Saying, he at least knew not.
1: it. He at least knew well, there he was would another never
2: side. it. I promise I you. He worked with the tribes. He was their liaison, and you could not ever get, you know, there was nothing good about Shivington, nothing. And others would kind of go, well, he was a monster, but he also had his other thing. He's a pastor. He was lots of things. But, no, David could not acknowledge uh, the settler side of the
0: story. Well, and also keep keep in mind, it's always important to keep in mind, that what the (laughs) so-called Native Americans, because don't forget, we don't have any third-party affirmed DNA testing for anyone who who claims Indian ancestry, right? And the reason for that is because we know that probably half of them are actually Hispanic and the other half of them have less than 10% Native blood if you took the numbers, right? So let's just be clear that when they say this is the Indigenous perspective of 2023, it bears only the faintest relationship to what the actual Cyan and Arapaho people. Would have thought about this circa right. 1864, or 65, right. right? I mean, don't let's not take this idea that they represent anything other than a particularly odd group of people circa 2023 making certain claims and being given the right to make those claims. But let's not say that that's in any way a historically accurate reflection of what those people thought at the time.
2: Well, yeah. I, I, you know, I watched the archivist. So I, I watched back in the early 1990s in which the tribal leaders uh, were thrilled that anybody would talk to them at all because they were, wow, it's huh? we Sand Creek. I, you know, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, up until, you know, uh, last Sunday, but, you know, in the 2008, 2009, where they were very demanding. They knew, <laughs> you know, you must tell our side of the story as we interpret it. And then they, they literally, uh, this is literally true. They would literally make up stuff. And then they'd say, you know, that's our oral tradition. I remember now that, you know, my great-great-grandmother told me X or Y. And you can never disprove it, of course, because it's, you know. Oral it's, tradition. It's oral tradition. But, boy, they went from from very meek and, and grateful to being consulted to very demanding. Um, and, and it was amazing to watch.
0: Right. And and again, just because, why is that? Because they're different people. They're not different people. They're the exact same people. What has changed is the system in which they operate and the incentives given to them.
1: Right, so, yes, is there
0: exactly. That's well put, that's well put.
1: Just, and, and just a couple more questions. Oh,
2: we want a couple more. Let's keep oh, on going.
1: On, well, my- um,
2: This is great. It's so great to have this guy on, I, honestly. But well,
1: Chuck, I told you, Bruce, when you called, Chuck is a history guy. Um, Is there hope? I mean, what, what I was going with, my question there was, so like I said, at least you guys know that there was another side, even if you can't say it, but the girl who came out of that exhibit has no idea there is another side, probably no desire to access it. But but you know what I mean? So so it it seems like that the the truth gets more and more and more sort of warped and farther and farther away.
0: Yeah, and it's it's basically what happened in uh, the Soviet Union and the Communist Party system. And and, and it's what happened to China as well, which is that the the official history becomes. So complex, and it becomes a sort of a all, so hard to keep it all together because you know people who were previously in favor in the official history suddenly be, become out of favor, and the history has to be rewritten. And what happens is people get cynical about history; they treat history as simply a mandate that's coming from somewhere else. They start to distrust history and historians. They start to um, do what's called decoding, which is, you know, if if you if you hear an official history, you start to try and figure out what's really being said and what's not being said. You're engaged in what's called decoding because you don't trust it. You know it's it's made up. So you're looking you're looking for that 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 secret code that'll tell you what the history actually is. And you know what happened in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe is is people became really really cynical about the past and about the writing and telling of the past. And that's, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what the contemporary elites want. They want just a vast cynicism, um, but it's certainly not cre- creating a sense of curiosity about history.
2: Well, yeah. you, you know, you were talking Henry VIII um, and the Tudors. The Tudors totally changed history, and they, you know, took Richard III and the Plantagenets, and they made them viewed as evil. And and certainly, as I was studying English history, I I learned the Tudor version of of history, and and you know, but there was another side, and it's interesting. Everybody who were the anti-Tudors after a while said, you know, Richard the Third was not a hunchback. That's all BS. And they dig up his his burial ground, and all of a sudden, he is a huge hunchback. So you know, <laughs> history is a strange thing, and it's it's. It's always you always have to understand that that uh, there are lots of truths in history and lots of ways to look at it. And as long as you have an open mind, you can sort of figure out kind of what the competing sides are. But most people do not see the competing sides. They have one side of history. They're happy with that. They're happy with the awful settlers, and they'll have that yeah. for the rest of their life. Yeah, and
0: there, and as, but as long as as history and and changes in historical writing are are driven by facts and changes in you know new facts new interpretations new theories that better fit the facts i mean that's science right so no right. nobody is cynical about science when science goes well they should back. be these days <laughs> they should be yeah know, well, yeah. but but, but basic you're right. stuff like, you know, fusion is not possible, and now we think fusion is possible. That's not because some political shift. It's because we are, the science got better, and, and so, you know, our theories change. So that's supposed to be the way we approach history, too. So there's nothing wrong with history changing as the scientific study of history improves our understanding. But when history changes because new groups come in and out of bad and ideological imperatives that history is supposed to serve change, now that's what creates cynicism.
1: Right, exactly, and you know, and one of our listeners—wait, Ma- let me just—one of our listeners is mentioning that here in Colorado they're going through a thing. They want to rename Mount Evans. Yes, they want to rename yes, governor. Yeah, yeah, the governor wants to they call it Mount Blue Sky, which nobody likes. But sure. but it's which is sort of like you said, erasing history because now no one's going to ever be like, well, why do we call it Mount Evans? Right, right. Well, the the governor,
2: governor at the time of the San Creek massacre. Right,
1: I, I mean, so and, and I mean that and that,
2: founded to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. You so ended. you would think, well, he must have had some good qualities, and like, nope.
2: Well, that, bit- that's the thing about you know, and and if I had to say whether I'm a cynic or not, I guess I am. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you, Julie.
1: <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm rolling my eyes, Bruce. I'm rolling my uh, eyes but, at that.
2: But, but but history does make you. Uh, it 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 is. It does, as reading of the Bible does. It makes you very. Um, skeptical about the human soul Uh, and you understand why we are a very flawed group but that's just me
1: (laughs) (laughs) um well what let me i mean anything else are you working on any other history stuff i know political and global political science and and global things but anything else fun that where people can look for and, and find your your writings
0: well, I think um, I think uh, my book that just came out is called The Case for Colonialism, and that's actually what I've been talking mostly about on media recently, um, and it's basically bringing together um, uh, writings and new work I've done uh, that expands upon an academic article I wrote in 2017 called The Case for Colonialism that brought a global mob down on my head. I bet, um, but I the- bet. The book is called The Case for Colonialism, and it just came out with New English Review Press in uh, November, um, and it covers both you know, European colonialism in Africa and Asia, as well as uh United States and Canada, settler colonialism under under the British Empire here.
1: Uh, listen, can we, because I know I was well, be I, intrigued
2: by you. I can promise you I'll buy the book. I can get it at Amazon and everywhere else, can I, hopefully? Sure, yep. Okay. I'll, I'll read the book, and we'll have you back on. Well, you, You've been great. I, I really enjoyed the discussion. Fantastic.
1: All right, thank you, Bruce. And again, we were sidetracked by the Sand Creek by your column there because that just sort of hits home here in Colorado. So if you if you'll come back, we'd love to have you. And meanwhile, thank you for your time. Um, and have a this is our party Friday. So party,
2: have a, your part of party Friday. Have a
1: happy that party. That part of you. history,
2: you're a part of.
1: <laughs> Bruce, thank Fantastic. you so much for your time. All right, take care, you, Bruce. Bruce. Thank sir. you. Bruce, get thank you. And I do recommend, guys, if if you have any, he, it, it's Bruce, G-I-L-L-E-Y, and it, it was in A.M. Um, Greatness. Um, just, I think it was oh, a book. couple of days ago. I yeah, exactly. Them, you know, it was a uh, case was, for
2: colonialism. Um,
1: yeah, which well, we can't talk cause, about anymore because.
2: Well, well, we're going to have, I'm going to read it and uh, right. to go out. This weekend I get various other books and read it, and we'll have him back on. He's great.
1: That's right, and now, was He took because well, we were on the late with he him. He took
2: up all this time. I know. Chuck
1: loves a history. Oh race. my God! What we're talk about. I'm just going to briefly mention, and then I get a great soundbite to wrap it up. Um, we well, better in
2: the soundbite. You better get on there.
1: Um, what did um, Lauren Bobert? What went into her head? We liked Lauren Bobert. Now we don't. So she votes to let to continue to reauthorize FISA spying on no, no. President Trump. No. Well, she did.
2: Well, because you have a choice. It Either you get it. A, Either you get a bill through the House and therefore you have some Republican things, or you don't, in which the government just keeps on but doing. You're saying it's not security. fair
1: to judge her on one.
2: No, it really isn't. I mean, I understand if I were in Congress, I'd vote against it. But I'm absent. I can understand. What I said, look, we did the best we could. Uh, yes, Pfizer gets extended for four months, and ultimately, you know, they have to Forever. spy on us and destroy well, then, us. Right. But but, but it is it is if you know. The trouble with politics, and what's the awful part about politics, is compromise. And the question is, is it a good compromise or a shitty compromise? And I think he could make the case that it's an okay compromise. An, okay. And, and so I don't really blame her. I mean, because if she had to vote for 702 he, by so, itself.
1: Although he was upset about well, that the shows pat- that shows uh, uh, you. <laughs> This is kind of funny, you guys. I'm sure you've noticed as Donald Trump increasingly takes the lead, um, not only looking like he'll be the Republican candidate, but the mainstream media is freaking out because it's looking more and more like he could actually win. No, um, about that. Well, uh, you're right, and so they're freaking out, and the stuff they are saying. I mean, I don't know where they're going to go um, with the stuff they're saying by the time it actually gets to the general election. But I wanted to play you. This is just a little clip of some of the Trump derangement stuff that they're saying in the mainstream media. Thomas, if we could please play the Trump derangement soundbite
0: what would a second donald trump term look like
1: well he cannot be the next president um it, it because if he
0: is you can't imagine the things that he's going to do mexico canada we can't go to canada because eventually canada will become annexed to america and shoot visitors to the white house yeah that means he can shoot the first lady
1: We're going to see violence the likes of which we didn't even see on January 6th.
0: Make it illegal to run against him, to throw his opponents in jail, to shut down the media. He will make himself into the Fuhrer, and he will make everybody raise their hand and salute him. Using martial law against the American people. Germinate the Constitution. To rewrite the Constitution. Create mass internment camps. Throw everyone into Gitmo. Might be sent to jail, or their rights might be suppressed especially minority groups in society. You might have any number of things happen to you and your family. Every one of us, our freedom, our liberty, none of us is safe. It's going to have people around him executing against an enemy's list. Assassinate generals. Ordering troops. Uh, to um, attack American citizens. Trump's very well-armed and extremist base. will try to kill people. We're going to, he's going to basically burn the house down. He will unravel the institutions of our democracy.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's like, because, it uh, and, 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 you know, ironically, many of those things are things that they're doing, right? Like, oh, jailers, no, political
2: jealous. opponents. <laughs> <Yeah. Shoot> us.
1: <laughs> right, exactly, wow. exactly, wow. exactly. He had this comment, you know, Jim Jackson, this sort of sums it up, of talking about what, About history, read history and take it with a few grains of salt until you determine the philosophy of the author. That's absolutely right. Um, uh, And and, and we'll have him back on to talk about the colonialism, guys. I'll
2: probably agree with a lot of these things. Then
1: that's going to wrap it up for us on this Party Friday. On Monday, we're going to have Colonel John Mills on, and he's going to be talking about this FISA. Reauthorization yeah, and the FISA right. warrants. Yeah. And, and sort of like, like what the deep state is doing to us. Right. Um, in the meantime, I want to thank Thomas, um, all of our guests, all of you great guys on Zoom. Um, remember, all of the shows you can get at chuckandjulie.com. Um, we, we are off. Chuck, Chuck had lunch with friends. He may have started Party Friday a little bit early. It's um, good. Which is good. And I'm going to do my best to catch up. Yeah, so,
2: and she's very good at things.
1: <laughs> everyone have a wonderful day. Hey, have
2: a great, great time and get your Christmas shopping done. Don't procrastinate. Like, look- me. (laughs) All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.